0: stop, and first of all, can we thank our band uh, for all their hard work today. <laughs> so you can imagine, in order to uh, pull off music on every every single week, honestly, they arrive far earlier than any of us do, and they practice during the week, and so for Easter, it's even more, and then along with Good Friday. But what I love about our band is the versatility. I mean, we went from Motown to Nashville, all in the same service, so man, it was so, so good. Um If Christmas and Easter were in a contest to see, like, which had more traditions and which had more of our attention as a culture, who wins? Christmas wins all day long, right? And way more traditions that you don't have Christmas, you have Christmas playlists, you don't have Easter playlists, you you don't have artists making millions of dollars on Easter albums, that kind of thing. But the thing about our Easter traditions is they don't make sense. So, for example, Jim Gaffigan. Uh, this amazing comedian, I love this guy, he says this, It's Easter! It's the day Jesus rose from the dead. What should we do? How about eggs? <laughs> but what does that have to do with Jesus? Alright, we'll hide them. <laughs> I don't follow your logic. Don't worry, there's a bunny. <laughs> Today we're talking about experiencing the power of the resurrection and we're looking at Philippians 3:10 just one verse this morning. So, let me read it to us. Philippians 3:1 or excuse me, 3:10. Paul says this, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Of course, Easter challenges us to believe in the resurrection. If you have doubts about the resurrection, if you are wondering whether you actually believe the resurrection, We challenge you. This day itself challenges you. Believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But today, we will be challenged by Paul to experience the resurrection. To think about its power and its implications. The truth is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ should make us think about everything in our lives in a different way. If Jesus was both God and man, and this is what we believe, fully God fully man and he died for our sins so that we can be forgiven and he overcame death in such a way that we too will overcome death and be raised that's a game changer and should probably change the way we even think about our lives on a daily basis do you agree if all those things are true and when paul says i want to know the power of the resurrection he's he's not saying i want to go looking for the power like I'm going to go to, like, Sedona and look for vortexes to find myself some power. No, he's saying, I want to live in light of the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and experience that power. And he also means to say to us this, that the person and the power that raised Christ from the dead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available To us as well, as we work out the implications, Christ and his power are with us. The first implication that I want us to see this morning from the passage is this. You can know Christ. You can know him. At the time of the crucifixion and the resurrection, Paul was a Pharisee and a religious leader of the Jewish people. And as you probably know, after the resurrection, of Christianity, excuse me, Christianity sprung up and people began to claim that Jesus was alive and that Jesus Christ was Messiah. But Paul was not among that group and he passionately opposed this and even sought to persecute people that were saying that. But then if you know the story, you know what happened to him. He met the risen Christ. On his way to Damascus, while traveling there, he met the risen Lord and was confronted with the reality that Christ was raised from the dead. And then he spent his entire life seeking to know Christ and seeking to make him known. And Paul says that he wants to know Jesus, but what does that mean when he says that? What does he mean by knowing Christ? There are many ways that we can know someone. You can have a basic knowledge about somebody, right? Like, I love historical biography. And so I've read some about John Adams. So I know some stuff about John Adams, but I don't know John Adams, right? He's dead, first of all. We can know people as acquaintances. I have 1,400 Facebook friends, okay? (laughs) The vast majority of these people I certainly don't know well. Some of them are acquaintances. If you're my acquaintance, like I, I might know your name, I might know your face, I might be able to put a few details together about you, but that's not what Paul is talking about when he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. There are other people that we know better, people in our family, people in our friend group. And then there are some people, some relationships that are so intertwined with our own hearts and our lives that they actually begin to change us, that they shape us into the person that we are. And as you can imagine, this is what Paul is talking about. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, what he means to say is this I want my life intertwined with his life. That I want his values, his passion, what Jesus is about, to be so intertwined with my life that he shapes me, forms me into the person that I mean to be. And in order to know somebody like this, you can imagine what would it take? What would it take to get to know somebody like this? How could you have your lives so intertwined? Obviously, you would have to spend an enormous amount of time with this person. You would have to talk together. You would have to listen to one another. And this is what Paul is calling us to knowing Christ. This is Paul's highest priority. He says in chapter 3, verse 8 of Philippians Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, my Lord. Everything else is lost. Paul is a man who had accomplished great things within Judaism. He had advanced far beyond anybody his age. And now that he's a follower of Jesus, he's become an apostle. He is literally carrying Christianity into the parts of the world that are unknown. He is literally establishing the church in the Roman Empire. And Paul says, in light of all my accomplishments, both before Christ and after Christ, none of them matter compared to knowing Christ. None of it matters. It's nothing beyond the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ to know him. You will shape your life around what is ever actually, excuse me, what actually is your highest priority, if you think about it. You will shape your life. you will change your life around what is actually your highest priority. It's not what you say is your highest priority, but in re- reality, in actuality, whatever is truly highest among your priorities, you will shape your life around that thing. If being physically fit is actually your highest priority, right, you're going to change the way you eat. You're going to eat certain things. You're going to say yes to certain things. You're going to say no to certain things. So I'm one of these people. I'm just going to be totally honest with you. Most of the time, I am not seeking to be physically fit as one of my highest priorities. I'm I'm just not. For the last five or six weeks, It has been a higher priority. I will not say it's been my highest priority, but it it has been a higher priority. So it's meant that I'm choosing to eat certain things and choosing to not eat certain things. I've actually committed to go to a gym. I go to a gym. I I pay a lot of money to be a member at a gym that I hardly ever attend, right? I mean, this is how they make money. They're they're, they're planning on us not being there. And when I go to the gym, normally what I do is I walk in, and I'm like, uh, it's the middle of the afternoon, and I'm tired and I'll, I'll get on the treadmill, and I'll run for a few minutes, maybe 20 or 30 minutes, and then I get off, I kind of look around at all the other people lifting weights, and I'm like, that's good, I'm going to call that good. <laughs> but recently I've joined a gym where y- you come in, and it's a smaller group of people, and they tell you what you're going to do that day, and you do it together. And it's pretty insane, actually. It's, it's absolutely insane, and I can't even believe I've been doing it for the last few weeks. But I've been doing this, and it's beginning to change my priorities, and it's actually beginning to shape my life in some ways, meaning I am, I am having to say yes to certain things and no to others. And if being in shape is a priority for you, that's what you'll do, if it actually is a priority. So Jesus is God and man, fully God, fully man, and died in such a way that his death was the atonement for your sins, meaning your sins were paid for, and they're forgiven completely, that's what we believe. And then he died a death, a, a type of death, that made you united with him, so that when he died to sin, and then he died to death, that your death died with his death, and your sin died with his death. And then when he rose from the dead, that you are united with him in such a way, right, that you will definitely experience the resurrection from the dead, if all that's true, it would seem to make sense to make this man our highest priority. And this is what Paul is saying. An obvious question in light of all this is, what then diminishes our ability to know him? What diminishes our ability to have our lives shaped in jesus if this is true of him If he's died a death that we deserved that we could be forgiven before a holy god And he's risen from the dead in such a way that we will be united to that resurrection man What diminishes me keeping from knowing him and whatever that is It would seem that I would want that out of my life less and less more and more out And then I have to ask myself, then what would increase my ability to know him? What would, what would like ramp up? What would give me more impetus to know him, more passion to know him? What would fuel knowing him more and more? And there's just three things I want to mention today. And there's so many more, and it'd be a whole different sermon. But quickly, quiet, meditative times in God's word where you're reading, not for information, but for transformation. This is just one of the things I've found. It's one thing to read the Bible trying to know something about Jesus. It's another thing to read the Bible seeking to know Jesus. They're not mutually exclusive, but it's one thing to know information, facts, something I can tell you, something I can put in my brain. It's another thing to say, now change me in light of that. Transform me in light of the reality that I'm reading about and meditating on. Next, a prayer life that is open and honest and involves listening as much as talking. You know what the problem with our prayer life is? Is we talk too much. (laughs) Jesus is like Santa to us. We're just saying, I need this, I need this. and And he wants to hear our request, he does. But we talk and we talk and we talk. And Jesus is calling us into a type of prayer life where we listen as much as we talk. And I've never heard an audible voice, just so you know. But there's listening and open communication and honesty. You can't have a good relationship with anybody if you're not authentic and real. And so as you come to him, you can be real. And this is so freeing. Lord, the fact is, I want you to be my highest priority, but the reality is you're not. The reality is, I put money as a much higher priority than you, and I've put my own security as a, a much higher priority to you. And I've put even like mundane stuff like entertainment as a higher priority than you, but I'm coming into you. I'm asking for forgiveness and I'm asking for your power to help me make you the primary thing in my life, as Paul sought to be. Open and honest communication, and thirdly, a willingness to be changed. A willingness to be changed. I mean, if, if you're not willing to be changed, then honestly, step one doesn't even matter. To open up your heart, Lord, would you come, would you change me? The first thing about the resurrection and the implication of the resurrection, if Paul were here, I think he would say is this, you can know Christ. And you might say, that's preposterous. He died. How can I know a dead man? And Paul would say, the reason you can know him is he's not dead. He rose from the dead. He's alive, and by his spirit and his word, you can know him. Second is this. Paul says, you can have fellowship in suffering. Yay. Philippians 3.10, our passage. I... Want to know him in the power of his resurrection and that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He says he wants to know Christ, experience the power of the resurrection, and I'm right with him. Yes, that's what I want. But then he says something that I don't want to share in the fellowship of his suffering. I don't want that necessarily. But Paul, being much godlier than me, does. Fellowship, it's the same word that if you've grown up in the church, I didn't until later in high school, the word koinonia gets thrown around. It means community or fellowship. Like, I've been involved in churches where they have koinonia groups. That's the term for their small groups, okay? And so, koinonia, Sunday school class name, fellowship. What it means is to have things in common with, and he's saying, I want to have everything in common with Christ to the extent that I would even share in his suffering, even unto his death. While I can't necessarily relate to this, I think another aspect of what Paul is saying here is this. He wants to have fellowship with Jesus in his suffering because this is true. Jesus himself says what? Take up your cross and follow me. If you want to be my follower, you have to take up your cross and follow me. And this is totally in the face of of a very common teaching and theology in our culture today, which is the prosperity theology, which says, if you follow Jesus, you will prosper. If you follow him, if you really have faith, if you really believe, you will always prosper. You'll be wealthy, you'll be healthy, everything will be fine. But Jesus didn't say that, and Paul certainly did not say that. If you follow him, you're called into the fellowship of his suffering. Part of the reasons why this rings so true for me is this. Times of suffering are like steroids for spiritual knowledge and spiritual growth. Let me say that again. Suffering is like steroids for you spiritually. It it helps you to grow. I want to know Jesus more. And what I've found is this. In times, when times are good, and I'm in seasons of life where things are just rolling, and everything's fine, frankly, I'm distracted by the goodness I'm distracted by the busyness of life and the good things that are going in and the projects that are happening, the relationships that I'm having, but it is in times of suffering, are you tracking? Where I've come to know Jesus. I would never sign up for this. I would never say, hey, next month, let's suffer, right? Let's put that in the calendar. Let's have some really bad stuff happen and go down. And if you're more than an acquaintance of of mine, you know that the last 12 to 16 months have involved suffering for me and my family. And I'm, I'm saying this, guys. In that time period, I met Jesus in knowing Him, not just about Him, but knowing Him in ways that I have not before. I'm not excited for it to happen again. But in hindsight, I would not choose to have passed it by. Because of what I know of Jesus now through the suffering. Jesus meets us in suffering. We become intimate with Jesus in suffering that we could never experience in times that are good, and it is because of his resurrection power. He truly is alive, and he's truly coming into our lives, and he does so in power in suffering. The next point is this. You can come over sin. One of the implications we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that there is power for us in sin. In Romans 6, Paul says this. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The, the godliest person in this room, the godliest person in the United States and the world will battle the sense of selfishness and, and the problem of inward sin their entire life. That's a fact. All of us will continue to struggle and battle the inward sin that we experience, which is best defined, I think, as making life about yourself our entire lives But at the same time, what Paul is saying is there is victory over that and strength in overcoming sin. Why? Because it has been given a death blow. It is dying and it will die. Our sinful self, our selfishness is dying and will be completely crushed in the coming of our Lord. One of my favorite books that I've read in the last 25 years is a book by a guy named Jerry Bridges who passed away recently and he wrote this book called The Disciplines of Grace. It's talking about disciplines we should practice, though, but in light of God's grace. And he says this Our worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. Hear that. Your worst day, your worst moment, your worst memory, the thing that you've done that's the worst is never placing you outside of the reach of God's grace. But hear this also, your best days, he says, are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And that's true. And so the gospel is true, and it's always true, but we need Paul's word here that makes a point that we need to hear. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, our sinful self was crucified and is dying, and there's power through the resurrection as we seek to overcome sin. Sin is like addiction. I think you could equate them in many respects. And that we're loving something that is not God, and we have a very hard time giving it up. It doesn't matter who you are. We all have besetting things that keep tripping us up. Some of you are really battling addiction, and there's good news here. There is power. The same man, the same God that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is our strength if you've gone to an aa meeting or if you've gone to a 12-step program the first thing that they're going to tell you is this is you're powerless to overcome your addiction on your own that you need a higher power and in the context of some of those meetings they're not going to necessarily direct you to who that higher power is but this morning let me tell you who he is and what is who his name is his name is jesus christ why does he get to be the one because he conquered sin and death and he rose from the dead so he is the power he is the one who gives us the strength to overcome anything we're dealing with. Are you battling chemical addiction? There is strength. There is power. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Are you battling s- sexual addiction? There is strength. There is power. Why? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Some of you deal with inner things in the heart. Depression. These are. This is not sin necessarily, so please hear me that. De- you are not being sinful if you're de- battling depression, but there's power, there's strength. The one who raised Christ from the dead is for us, with us. Amen? There's hope. There's hope. And I heard a beautiful story in my gospel community this week, uh, my, the small group. We call them koinonia groups at some church, gospel communities at New Valley. So we're at our gospel community, and somebody, a mom in our church, shared this story about her young daughter And during Pastor Tyson's sermon at New Year's, she was journaling about what he was saying, and she began to journal about how she was coming to faith in Jesus. And she was journaling her words to the Lord, saying, I love you, and and I believe in you, and I'm trusting in you, and, and putting her hope in him. And she was talking to her mom after church, and the moms asked her, like, did you mean the words that you were writing down in church? And she said, I do. I do mean those words. And, and then it led to this dialogue, this conversation where the daughter was asking her mom, like, does this mean that, you know, I don't have to do anything for Jesus to accept me? And the mom said, yes, that's right. So I don't have to do anything. I don't have to obey anything. I don't have to do anything. I, I just have to believe, yes, that's right. That's all you have to do. It's, it's Jesus plus nothing. And the little girl said, but I want to obey him. And that's exactly right. This is the heart's desire coming to faith, the heart that is being filled with God that says, I I know I'm imperfect, I know I'm not right, and it's all God's grace by which I'm right, but now my heart is changed, and I want to obey Him. I want to love Him. I want to keep His commandments and walk with Him, right? It is the Spirit of God that comes and helps us and to give us the desire, even at the desire level, to overcome what sin do you feel utterly stuck and enslaved to because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? There's power. Finally, last implication in this message is this, but listen, there are thousands of implications, maybe millions, (laughs) of the resurrection of Jesus. We're just talking about a few this morning, but finally, you can face death with hope. We do our very best to ignore death in our culture. I think we do our very best to ignore death in our own lives and hearts, and I think we do a really good job in Phoenix trying to ignore death. Where I grew up, there were cemeteries in the center of every city. At the very heart of cities, they built cemeteries, and to bury your dead, churches would have the dead buried in the backyard. Death was a reminder everywhere because it was central to our cities. Where are our cemeteries in Phoenix? I mean, I know they exist, but they are few, and they're hidden. Death is something we push away, we don't want to think about, but there are times in our lives when death becomes central, and we can't ignore it. It just is there. In the past 12 months, we buried my father-in-law and my mother-in-law. And in the last 16 months as a church, we've had several funerals. We've, we've had the funeral for two beautiful teenage girls, Maddie and Zoe. We had a funeral just recently for a dear baby named Shelby who passed from a heart condition. And we had our first memorial service and funeral in this room for Bob Welsh. We've not been able to ignore the face of death. It's been in our face. And when we are daily living in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ— letting Easter break out just on one Sunday a year, but actually to live in light of the power of the resurrection, working out the implications, seeking to know him and be changed by these implications. There is a resource when we grieve death, and we do grieve death. When somebody we love dies, we should not say to ourselves, well, that was actually a good thing from the right perspective. It's not. It's an evil thing. It's a result of sin. It's it's part of the enemy. When Jesus comes to the death of his best friend, Lazarus, he doesn't say, it's not a big deal. Why are you all crying? He weeps bitterly and he recoils from the death, even though what? He knows he's about to heal this man from the dead. He's about to raise him. It is an enemy, but it is a conquered enemy. It is an enemy, not a friend, but it's a conquered enemy. And so we grieve, but we do not grieve as people without hope. And so when we live in light of the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, when we have to, when life forces us to face death in the face of a loved one, a beloved friend, a family member, we have a resource, we have a resource to have hope. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. 1 Corinthians 6, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Points, on a gravestone, there are two dates. And my family is buried Almost all of them in Evansville, Indiana, in a center part of the city. And you can go there to their gravestones and see my family members there, and there is a birth date, and there's a dash, and there's a death date, right? Someday, perhaps you won't be buried, maybe, but there'll be a memorial, and in the service, there'll be a bulletin, and there will be your birth date, and there will be a death date, and you and I were living in the dash between those two dates. And the older you are, that dash truly is a dash. It speeds up. We live our lives in such a way, and it goes by so fast. And no matter how much we avoid thinking about it, our lives are brief, and no matter who you are, no matter whether you're young or old or strong or weak, death awaits you. Every time I have had a surgery or a procedure, even like a, uh, you know, a dental surgery where they're going to give you anesthesia, I like to play a little game. (laughs) It's the game that they all say, like, we're going to count to 10 from backward, you know, it's count backwards from 10, and maybe you don't do this, but I do. I try, I'm trying really hard to get to 8, okay? I just want to get to 8 once. So I go count backwards from 10, and even if they don't say it, I do it. I'm like, 10, I don't even get through 9. I'm like halfway through 9, and I'm down, (laughs) And to me, every time this has happened and I've had a fair number of surgeries and procedures where I've had to be put under, it reminds me that I am powerless over death. And no matter if I'm in good shape or not, whether I'm weak or strong, old or young,